0: I'm about to just die to sleep. Uh, Relax. Man, I can't breathe my face. Just get up. Ugh. Ugh.
1: What do you want? I can't breathe. Please knee in my dick. I can't breathe Bro, s- uh. get up and get in the car, man. I will. Get up and get in the car. I can't move. I've been whiting the whole car, <laughs> man. He's a tough bro. He not even resisting arrest, bro. His whole nose is a lie. Why you just sitting there?
0: He ain't doing you nothing now. Put in your car.
1: You. How long y'all got to hold really him
0: is. down? So Why you don't you do drugs, kids? It, it ain't about drugs, bro.
1: Y'all understand that. Y'all don't got to put y'all in
0: his neck, bro. Right. He is human, bro. His nose is bleeding. You can put him in the car. being a part of Team Yukonuba has just really, really afforded me and my dogs lots of hunts, long hunts, plenty of time in the field, and a healthy coat, they're all just looking awesome. They'll let you know that when it comes to the dog world, sporting dogs are at the tip of the sphere and they train daily, perform in the field seasonally, run field trials regularly, and are motivated to excel always. All Yukonuba brand dog foods are made from the high quality animal protein that help build lean muscle, The DHA is added to support healthy brain function. A customized blend of carbohydrates supplies powerful, long-lasting energy. Each nutrient that Yukanuba includes helps fuel a dog's body, mind, and energy. Lastly, the specific combination of nutrients in each Yukanuba formula is scientifically optimized for the dogs with different activity levels, ages, and sizes. So, guys, go check out Yukonuba Sporting Dog today and get yourself with a bag of the 3020 Performance Formula. Also, I want to thank my affiliates Lion Country Supply and Garmin Fishing Hunt for a wonderful set of dog training supplies to fuel your everyday training needs. Visit Lion Country Supply and Garmin today and go get yourself the Garmin Pro 550 Plus. Electronic collar, along with a good check cord, pinch collar, any anything else you need for your dog trainer needs. All right, guys. So we are here on the Gundog Notebook podcast. We're doing something a little bit different today. Obviously, you guys, based on the intro, know um where we are starting off and that is unfortunately talking about something that has resonated um in the hunting and and fishing community but also just in America all right i want to just take some time to deviate from you know you know, bird dog training and and field trials and all things like that. Um, and just pay my respects to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, um, and and so many other African Americans in this particular um, country. And and really, I want to address a an issue that I think is a little bit broader. Um, I want to address the the issue of policing and also the issue of racism. Um, Over the last few days, I have been um, running the project upland um, Instagram profile page and, and AJ DeRosa was so kind to reach out to me one morning and say, Hey, look, man, we need to do something about it. Um, And, I'm I, I'm gonna open up the, the the gates of Project Upland um social media and and let you basically do your thing. Um this was shortly after a post that I made um basically expressing my discontent um with the current state of of, of what's going on in America and what's been going on in America. Um, right now, and and that is the human rights violation of police brutality, and 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 bigger than politics. It has nothing to do with politics. And over the last few days, I've seen so many people make this a political issue, and it is not. Okay, let me be very clear. It is not. This is a human rights issue. This is a violation. Okay, does not matter. Now, my attachment to it, obviously, I'm an African-American man um, and I felt like it was my responsibility being. The only, um, you know, podcast media platform represented by an African-American man um, and and, and, and as far as hosting and and founded by an African-American man, I felt like it was my job and my duty to create a conversation and create a dialogue, um, intellectually, um, you know, and, 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 really just try to use my platform for the most good that I possibly can. And what that meant to me meant taking a stand and, and, and asking, you know, my supporters, my listeners, um, the, the businesses and organizations that support me and represent me to, to take that stand with me. Um, I'm also asking people to stop being silent about an issue that has, 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 permeated American culture and, and, and been doing so for the last four or 500 years. Um, over the last few days, I've been able to deliver all kinds of facts and research about these things, but you know, the long and short of it, I wanted to be upfront and forward about the issue that we have in hand. All right. I've got my own personal recollections, but at the end of the day, we have a serious problem with racism in America. And we also have a serious problem with policing, not just the police force policing the 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 figurative and literal meaning of policing. There is a lot of policing going on in the hunting industry. We have to do a better job in in creating a, a platform of inclusion in the hunting industry for minorities, people of all Different colors, um, orientations, backgrounds, all kinds of things like that. We need to be charged and challenged to create a better place. As AJ always says, "Leave the uplands better than we found them." And part of that has to do with challenging discussions, making people uncomfortable when it is when it when when the time is right. It is not an attempt to stop anybody from their 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 political beliefs to uh, political beliefs and or impede on any of that. What this is is to create a dialogue, let folks know what the real issue is, speak articulately and intellectually about the issue, not mind any kind of political discourses. I, I want to say it again. This is not what that's about. What this is about is, is is keeping a check on the issues that we have seen in America. Unfortunately, there are those folks that, and I, I can't even believe I'm giving this energy, but I do want to say this. Unfortunately, there are those folks that feel that this is an issue that belongs in another sphere. It doesn't relate to them, and why are they why is this disrupting their, you know, regularly scheduled programming, or, or why? Why is the imagery disrupting what they go on, you know, go to see online on on, on these various hunting and fishing platforms, you know, all of this stuff, there's, there's always an excuse. Or there's silence. Okay. So what I wanted to do today was get on with uh, Mr. Randy Shrewsbury of the Institute for Criminal Justice Training Reform, and actually talk about talk to a former police officer, a former white police officer, about some of the initiatives that we have going on, um, you know, or some of the issues that we have going on in this country, and the initiatives that he has created and and and, and you know put forth. In order to help remedy that, while I was doing the Project Upland takeover, um, we vowed to donate the proceeds of any, you know, purchases during that 48-hour period to um, Randy Shrewsburg's um, Institute for Criminal Justice Training Reform. I believe in, in in using this platform to, like I said in episode 100, Do good work. And this is part of that responsibility. So I I understand it is jarring. I understand it. It makes people uncomfortable. I understand that this is not a part of your normal, regularly scheduled programming. I understand that, but there is a time and a place. And right now, more than ever in this country, we need to have a conversation. We need to create a dialogue. We all need to sit down at a round table and create solutions we need to stand next to each other, and most of all, we need to learn. We need to learn about what's going on, and we need to learn about each other's struggles, period. So with that being said, guys, I want to um, open up the podcast to Mr. Randy Shrewsbury. Um, we recorded this episode on Project Upland's um, Instagram Live, and I'm now giving it to you on the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast Live. All right, guys, stay tuned. folks logging in. Hey, hey, got some folks logging in. I'm waiting for Mr. Shrewsbury to to, uh, log on now and we will get this party rolling.
1: Hang on one second. Let uh, me uh, hearing you room. I can't. How are you? There we go. Okay.
0: I had look, I had you uh, as soon as I walked in my office. I uh, had my my phone Bluetooth to my headphones, so it's.
1: Oh, I got you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, um, you know, I I can't thank you enough for getting on here, especially in in, in such a short amount of time. But sure. you know, con- considering the times, uh, Mrs. Shrewsbury, like this really means a lot. And I know for the both of us, and for a lot of other folks,
1: um, it's it's kind of out
0: of the wheelhouse. I mean, in some
1: ways. <laughs> yeah, when I saw your email, uh, you know, I, I get media requests pretty regularly for um, you know, like progressive causes or, you know, civil rights organizations, that sort of thing. And occasionally some things in the community. But uh, I, uh, when I got your message, I was like, mm, bird dog hunting? <laughs> um <laughs> so, but I, you know, I'm glad these are these are the uh, the places that we have to have these conversations. Right. <laughs>
0: right. And I, and I, and I do want to just reiterate my intention, not for you, but for the folks that are coming in. Um, this is dissimilar because it, it, it's not something that is highly discussed. But in this, as an African American man, I've experienced, you know. Um, policing, the, the, the idea of policing, even in this particular industry. And so what I want to do, um, is use my platform to talk about policing and, and really get to the root issue of, you know, what we're seeing today, you know, because of George Floyd and talk about, you know, get your experiences and talk about, you know, what, policing means, what it is, what it should be, um, your experiences and and show people why I thought it would be good to donate the proceeds to all the Project Upland sales to your institute. You know, um, this, as an African American man in this um, Upland hunting community, I'm, I'm really the only one with this kind of presence. Right. And and that's a unique thing, but what's also not unique is I still deal with the same racial issues as everybody else does here. Absolutely, you know. So I wanted to be very clear, and I and I felt compelled, and you know, to say something um, because of my background, and, and and I believe wherever you are, use your platform for good. That's right. You know, just because you know I'm in one arena i mean as much research and and things that i do on just the history of hunting especially african-americans in um upland hunting i see it all the time like there was a point in time where you know white landowners and plantation owners would literally police black people and say you cannot hunt here and you can only hunt here if it benefits us absolutely you know, and so I'm like, "Huh, okay," and I started seeing parallels. So
1: <laughs> I'm not going to talk. Well, and, long. Yeah, and I and I think that's the important conversation is to add the context and nuance that's so um, so much more than um, than George Floyd. It's so much more uh, than uh, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, or you know the litany of of victims that we have seen that, um, you know, this didn't, uh, this didn't start yesterday uh, and we're not going to get it, get ourselves out of it tomorrow. Right. I mean, this is, uh, this is, uh, um, some very, very deep, painful, um, uh, uh, parts of our history, uh, that we have to come to terms with. And, um, I, you know, uh, I, 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 speak all the time, you know, to, to folks about, uh, our, Luxury right now to have so much information. And sometimes it can be bad, you know. uh, Not all information is good information, but, um, uh, you know, I grew up at a time that when something was said to us, right, uh, that I, you know, I either had to take that word, uh, their word for it, uh, unless I had a personal experience that said otherwise, or I could go to the library, right? Right. (laughs) And and there weren't live videos on the library you know, showing examples of, of you know, things like police violence or, um, you know, this kind of unrest. And, uh, you know, today each of us, you know, we walk around every day with uh, the world's information uh, in, our, in our pocket. And so I think that that's a huge advantage that we have that technology can now facilitate these kinds of conversations and we're all, you know, um, we don't all feel the same, but we're we're all at least starting to look at the same information.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yeah, well, one of the things that I've heard countless times, justifiably, is you know this isn't new. It's just on videotape, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and that um, uh, I I think that that has to be the starting point of recognition that you know the, the, these things aren't new. Right, and and see that's the thing—the
0: starting point of recognition. Like that's 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 monumental in and of itself because I just feel like there's so many white individuals um, that see it, experience it in some capacity, yeah, and may not even be for it, but ignore it. Yes. And and that permeates every industry in American culture.
1: It 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 does, and you know. um, uh, So uh, we talked about uh, you know the op ed I had written a couple of years ago that Mm -hmm. was on Huffington Post. um, That was titled "I Was a Racist Cop," and um, you know I kind of come from. If 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 you want to, we'll start talking about a little bit of background. uh, I, I I came from the Midwest. I live in Los Angeles now, but I came from um, uh, the outskirts of Cincinnati. Is where I grew up. Um, I always say I, we were the last suburb before you got to the cornfields. Um, yeah. So. And I mean, literally, like the road that I lived on. As soon as you got past our road, uh, it was it was just you know incredibly rural. And I grew up with a family who were racist. Uh, my parents were incredibly racist. Uh, and, and you know, uh, what I learned about uh, uh, black book when I was a kid was, uh, you know, black people are okay. Don't eat with them and don't sleep with them. That was you know the message that I was told in school. I learned next to nothing about the civil rights movement. I learned nothing about Martin Luther King, except, you know, uh, that he would go around and rile people up, Um, uh, and, you know, I I was at a young age, even though, you know, this information was coming at me then, and I was going like, well, yeah, I'd be riled up too, Uh, right? but we didn't have a two-sided conversation ever, um, you know, uh, and, and, and I fear that we, we don't have that um, as much as we need to right. even, even today. Um, so then when I went into policing, you know, um, I never considered myself a racist. I never felt like, um, you know, that my heart was in the wrong place. Um, but looking backwards, what, you know, what I saw was like, uh, uh yes, I, I remember early saying like, yeah, I'm not, I, I wasn't racist, uh, but I did racist things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that makes me racist, right? <laughs> um, so, um, so, you know, th- that's a hard thing, especially as a white guy, you know, to, uh, to have to admit. Now, um, w- was this, you know, j- just, um, you know, things out of my own thoughts? N- no. I mean, there were influences from every different direction. Um, and, um, and unfortunately, you know, um, working in policing um, it didn't help very often. W- w- one of the things that uh, I, I'd i like to say very clearly is, um, you know, I, I consider myself not necessarily pro-police, but I'm not anti-police. I think that there has to be a, a law enforcement element in our society in some degree. I, I mean, I think currently we're over-policed. I think that, um, you know, we rely on the police matters that we absolutely shouldn't um so um you know i I hear the calls for like defunding and i hear the calls for the disbandment of police and in the spirit i agree right um i i think that um you know in fact i I mentioned to you on the phone yesterday is you know when um when george was killed and i found out that you know this was over a twenty dollar counterfeit bill um I mean, a lot of things came to mind, um, you know, uh, like, I mean, how do we know that, uh, that he knew that was a, a counterfeit $20, bill, right? Right. right. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, but but for most, what came to my mind was is that wh- why was he going to jail for that? Um, you know why why did this require? You know why is the the default solution um, right. uh, to lock lock up an individual, which then you know uh, can kind of permeate these same kinds of problems. One of the things I, I learned in the police academy was. Uh, that uh, every situation that you go to is an armed situation. Mm -hmm. It's normally not by the public. It's normally by the police, right? Captains would say to us, you know, you are bringing a gun into a situation where there otherwise wasn't a gun. And so there is this heightened um, uh, safety issues in every single interaction that I think that that creates um, a need for us to reevaluate what contact uh, is logical for us to have, uh, you know, between the public and the police. Right.
0: And, and I think that's valid. I mean, and I've never been a cop. I, I, my grandfather was during <laughs> a much more volatile time you know, yeah. and to be a cop, a black cop, even then. Um, yes. And so I do, empathize with the idea that you really don't know what you're walking into sure i i i 100% agree with that but what we can do is is if i don't know what's out there what i can do is evaluate what's in here
1: absolutely you know? well and, and and but with that i think it's important to for us to learn about what's out there and i think it's yeah. important for us to learn you know uh the the old adage of uh you know one's perception is one's reality and so while many of us may be looking at something and going like, well, that's not, you know, of course that's not what's going on, or of course that is what's going on. Right. We're relying, generally speaking, on our own experiences, or our own education. Mm-hmm. And if we are in areas where that's limited, uh, or if, if we have a mind that is limiting that information from coming in, We're never ever going to be able to see what the perspective of uh, of other folks wants. Very ironically, um, you know. So I spent 13 years as a police officer, uh, and I spent the next 15 uh, in the private sector, both working in um, forensics and then here at the institute. And um, it it was when I was um, about halfway into my career. Uh, that hip hop music, uh, you know, in the early nineties, um, NWA, Dr. Grace knew mm-hmm. uh, Tupac was coming about and there was, you know, a Tupac song called changes that where he says, you know, instead of a, a, a war on poverty, the police have a war on, dr- or there's a war on drugs. So the police can bother me. And for me, um, even though, you know, um, uh, ironically, I, I was a part of a group that was helping um, boycott, um, like I think it was Interscope Records at the time. Yeah, but but that was to me was the, like the first flash in my mind to go, oh, wait a minute. Um, you know, me as a police officer, I don't, I, I don't feel like you know I'm promoting a war against the public, right? As an individual. But what it did was that just that song was kind of what was the spark for me to reevaluate what the perceptions were from the other side and uh, experiences that I just don't have and I never will have because I'm a white right? Yeah. Um, I'm able to do things you know when we when we talk about privilege i'm I'm able to do things that um that i take <clears throat> excuse me that I take for granted mm-hmm. and um and you know so even inside the culture of policing and look you know to kind of go what you said first off, you know um policing typically isn 't as dangerous um, as as the media leads on. Um, one is too many right One person uh, who gets killed uh, at work that 's too many right but it isn um, <clears> 't <throat> excuse me um, uh, 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 when we look at like what the perception of of like police deaths as right. an example and so the the folks who are joining us on this live call answer the question in your head. So there's about a million cops uh, in the United States right now. Um, uh, How many uh, police officers do we think are killed a year on average? And so I'm guessing that the vast majority of people are going to be guessing, you know, between one to 300 people, right? And the reality is, is that uh, typically less than 60 um, police officer safety is at the highest um, point that it's been in decades now again i i cannot stress enough one's too many right, right. Um, uh, uh, and i say that but at the same time i say that there is something to be said about any any uh of our citizenry who's running towards danger while the run the rest of us are running away right um yes. it is scary um you know it is um Uh, It is a very unique role where, um, um, uh, you you know, that you're dealing with folks, um, you know, who may have violent tendencies, who may have mental health issues, who may be armed, um, uh, uh, who may already be involved in some sort of criminal activity. But I think that, um, you know, I I say this because I think that it's important for us to understand the context, right? When we look at... um, uh, our natural reflex, I think, for white America—and I don't speak for all white Americans—but yeah. in my experience, is to to look at many of these cases and go, "Well, that was wrong for sure," but you know, there's something else going on here. And, and instead of just stopping, where you know, look, that was wrong, um, right? And I think that you know, this case uh, was. It's so cleanly uh, wrong, right? Uh, where anyone who's watched the video uh, sees the absolute indifference uh, mm-hmm. that the officers had about his life. Right? They didn't even look down. I mean, even well, as, you know, oh, as yeah. people were screaming, like, this man is dying. Yeah. You know, they didn't even look down to check. And in fact, um, I heard, um, I, I heard someone on the radio um, the day before yesterday say that it seemed as if, like, every time they were like, dude, you are killing this man, that the officer seemed to put more weight on his neck. Um, yeah. Um, and, and then the, the, but the indifference was widespread. I mean, it wasn't just them, it was no. everybody around. Yes yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and I think that you know a lot of this is born from culture, and so you know our cause at the you know, um uh, at the institute is. Is looking at how how is this shaped in training, um, and 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 really it starts at hiring, right? Um, it, it, it starts in what screening that we have, what expectations do we have of the officers, um, and then how are we training them once we're there? Uh, I, I so you know this lack of empathy, um, this lack of or the, this dehumanization. That yes. goes on, and, right. that,
0: and that's a thing that we want to hop on, but continue. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I um, I I think that um, it, it's insidious. That's you know, it's it's really easy um, to you know you you get into an environment where you know um you're answering the same calls day in and day out right uh you're you're in the same uh bad neighborhood or you're arresting the same folks and when I say bad neighborhoods uh you know that that that's what you're sent to right um there is a um, uh a, a default um Uh, approach of us against them, good guys versus bad guys, which is, you know, uh, 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 childishly simplistic, right? Right. Just to say there's good guys and there's bad guys, right? It's just not that clear. Um, But what we try to do is try to look at, you know, like um, – Uh, it's like where is this starting and understanding where it's starting is where can we intercept it uh where where can we emphasize that you know uh that george floyd uh died but um his loss of life ripples um across well i mean we're seeing in this case you know it's it's rippling across the entire globe but normally speaking you know um Uh, You know, there's so many, you know, nameless and faceless folks who have gone through the same thing that it's just an absolute destruction um, uh, to the family, an absolute destruction to the community. Um, And uh, this then just perpetuates this this, this divide. Right. So I want to
0: I want to touch on a couple of things, but let's let's. I'm going to skip around on the, on the list of things that I attention, but let's talk about dehumanization. And there was a part in your story, um, yeah. racist cop that the, um, y- you know, your corporal, you know, it was a guy basically to give context, a guy had head on collision. Um, you know, was it was a traffic median. Or yeah.
1: Like yeah. It was a cement wall.
0: Right. And you guys got there as his, as he was leaving you know his spirit, and the yeah. corporal whispered, "Today is the day you die inward." right and, and and we're talking about dehumanization. I feel like like when, when I read that, I felt like that was something that was almost written down, like on yeah. a sheet of, new, of of paper, right, and like passed down from you know that guy's grandfather to his father to yeah. him to, and, and it was because it almost felt like it, it, it almost felt scripted when I read it, Yeah, you know, and, and we're talking about dehumanization, talk about that
1: experience and, and break that down for me. So what, one of the things, um, I, I will say this, uh, uh, and, and, and again, and this is in my view, my own personal experience, right? Um, is that, um, I I think there's different kinds of racism, which then prompts different kinds of dehumanization. one is this outward racism of, you know, I hate black people, I hate Jews, I hate Latinos, I hate, you know, it's just spewing with hate, right? Um, hard to differentiate an individual uh, from them and a clan member, right? Um, and there's a, there's a small element of that in law enforcement. In fact, the FBI, um, uh, about a decade ago, talked about the infiltration of um, hate groups and, wow. uh, organizations into american law enforcement yeah
0: and, and I, I don't and I, I want to cut you off but i i empathize I with that because my grandfather again was on the force and he would tell me about kkk members sure that were in that so i i 100 yep. understand that
1: yeah and then so i i think that there was those that had that kind of outward racism and then i think that there was another group that had what i call a passive racism and and i think that uh that's largely how I describe myself, and it isn't to let myself off the hook, right? Uh, racism is racism, but you know, I wasn't laying in bed at night going, um, you know, how can I go torment Black Book, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I and I, and I and I think that that's probably is shared. With the vast majority of officers the story that i told um uh, indeed it was a, a traffic crash uh, the corporal had gotten there before me i'm directing traffic and then he comes up and brags that he said this right that he whispered in in the man's ear today's the day you die and then the man died right this this was the last words that this man heard um this particular officer is now dead um but um he was a known, just outright racist, right? I mean, everyone who knew him knew, um, you know, this the kind of, uh, you know, just absolute sickness of of behavior, um, and so. That's easy to dismiss, um, I think on some levels, right? Because that's just him, right? It is it, it is a minority, um, I believe, uh, in law enforcement, uh, for people that just are just filled with that kind of hatred. Right. But what I experienced, right, where dehumanization really impacted me was um was kind of this um casualness that just slowly built up, right? One of the things I always uh, say is um, uh, I, when I was a kid, I, my dad was a butcher and I never wanted to be a butcher because I was like, oh, I can't imagine just going in the same day, doing the same thing over and over and over. And I was very drawn. I, mean, I was drawn to police work for a lot of reasons, but I was drawn because I was like, it's, it's always going to be different. And what I discovered once I got into policing is it wasn't different. We were always in the same communities. We were typically arresting poor folks, um, which is often, you know, black or brown people, almost always, um, depending on the size of the city or where you're at. But like even like when I was in rural white areas, you know, uh, we were just hanging out the trailer park, right? I mean, uh, poverty was uh, is a central part of this. Um, but it was very repetitious right it was arresting the same people for the same things over and over and over and then it became to the point where you were like um and in fact i mentioned in you know my op-ed is i would then see cages full of black folks and say well look it's a breakdown in their community not at all acknowledging like what role did i have right uh if i caught somebody with a little bit of weed did they need to go to jail Right. Um, Do I need to put someone in jail who's driving while suspended? Uh, uh, You know, uh, why is it that so many nonviolent crimes are only handled, you know, um, uh, 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 through incarceration? Well, if you're constantly um, in this over and over and over and over, then it becomes very um, much easier uh, than to kind of look at them as an other. Right. So I already have in my head good guy versus bad guy. I'm the one in blue. So I know I'm the good guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, then I am placed in poor areas where, uh, you know, um, of course, there's violent crime. There's, uh, you know, th- th- things where uh, major police action has to has to take hold. Oh, someone killed your family member. You would want justice as well. Um, but what I found myself is, is that those were so rare. And but at the same time, it was still building in my head over and over and over and over without any context to history, without any context of uh, Jim Crow or Red Lane or, you know, just the simple history of the United States of how did we get here. Then it was just very easy for me to be able to look at an individual um, that um, that didn't look like me. And say that it's um, it's non-human, right? right? The words don't go through your head, or didn't go through my head at least, mm-hmm. right? But when uh, you know, when I when I was watching, you know, the George Floyd video or Eric Garner's video or so many others, I, I, um, I, and I, I was never involved in any fatal use of force or deadly use of force but I've seen situations like this a bazillion times, right? Somebody yelling out, help, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And you're like, they're faking. Right. Uh, uh, or, you know, this idea of superhuman strength, right, um, uh, which, you know, I, I fear can be used even as a defense in in, in George Floyd's case. So I, I, I think in order to answer your question, that to, in order to cope with that justification of your existence um, – um, then and, and with that, and then the lack of either knowledge or or acceptance of of the history of of where we are in the u s then um then I, I think it's easy you know to dehumanize right
0: and i I, I think that's spot on um and I, and I thank you for your personal account in that because i i i think as a people, we all need to it's good to be in the mind of what that looks like. You know, see what I'm saying? Like, sure. it, it's good to say, okay, this is, you know, what I was thinking, this is, you know, where we are, so on and so forth. Um, but in that, so uh, an offshoot of the dehumanization aspect of it, when we're breaking that down, um, and, and this is something, I'll give you my personal thing about how I even got to silence, right? this This theme of silence. So yes. I am... In the bird dog world, um, there, there are a few things that go on as an African-American man. Um, I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Uh, one, I'm taking my dog to his first hunt test, right? And this is test. Make sure the dog can hunt, do all kinds of stuff like that. is a standard. But, of course, a lot of these places, uh, a lot of these tests are held on either plantations or the like. Yeah. And historically plantations are not what they were back then, but you still feel the energy. So what happens is I've got my dog on the back of my truck and my wife and I are driving up and of course we're looking around like what in the world like you feel it. Right? And and we're there and and we, you, we it's it's silent now. Like nobody says anything overt, but yeah. you feel the eyes. You yeah. feel, it's almost burning, you feel it. And it's not a I hate that you're here. It's a, what are they doing here? Yeah. Yeah. What, what are, and then, and, 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 I was, I've been blessed to have a gentleman and I will never forget this moment come up to me and actually thank me. He was like, Hey man, thank you. i was like, where are you thanking me? He was like, you know, we need more of you out here. Like we don't see black people doing this. Yeah. And that meant a lot to me because he broke that silence for me that day, yeah. you know? And, and, and so just in other instances, I do a lot of research and things like that. And I'm always trying to find my own history in this. And I like to share it with people through this, this platform, but I would go and I find images of African-American dog trainers and like their famous images of like president Eisenhower, right? And he's got these nice setters and stuff. and, and, And there's a black guy in the background. No name, no record. Like right. it, it, and when I ask people about it, they're like, "Oh yeah, he, he was just you know, the guy that worked there that day, right. or that year, or, or whatever the case may be." There are no accounts, so there's this like inherent silence about the the, the lack of records the inherent silence about oh that's what they do and, and historically that's what we were expected to do and northerners will come down with the expectation of subordinate of, of experiencing a plantation hunt with subordinate blacks and things like that it was this unspoken rule sure and so then we come today and i was just like dang like that's something that still permeates this culture now silence and and, and it's it's one thing that If you dwell on it long enough, it'll make you grit your teeth a little bit. Because it's like in in this industry, we all see that this is wrong. We all know the George Floyd thing. We see that the construct of this entire country, really, the, 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 the way it was founded, is fundamentally wrong. Yeah. To the Native Americans, to the Chinese, to the Blacks the hispanics to everybody that contributed to building it and and so i sit and, and it's almost it's silenced even in schools i went to yeah. private school my whole life those histories are not told and so it's just like how long are we going to be silent and then what happens is there's this there, there's this silence when all of this stuff happening and i'm like i'm looking for like larger corporations and businesses to 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 shun it and and speak against it yeah but there are some of the majority that know it's not right but choose not to speak against it in a time where we all should be past it yes
1: you know uh, you know, I, I always say that it, it is shocking to me um, that in the year 2020, um, which I've been saying this, you know, uh, <laughs> for 10 or 15 years now, is that, that that this is still happening, right? That we still have to have these kind of conversations. Um, a, a few of you m- might cringe when I say this, but but stay with me. Um yeah. Uh, when we talk about white privilege, right, um, uh, you know, it's very, very easy for us to just be like, well, you know, it's all equal, right? Uh, Civil Rights uh, Act has been passed. Uh, you know, uh, we've had a black president. Um, uh, you know, we see more black leaders uh, than we ever have before. There's integration. Uh, uh, while I absolutely... Uh, you know, don't support, uh, you know, what he, uh, a, a lot of his behavior, the comedian Louis TK made an amazing point about white male privilege. And what he said was, as he said, as a white male, it is the only demographic for which you can go back in any point in time and it be cool that everything's safe and everything's fine. Um, It's only for white men, and um, again, I I don't, you know, promote his bad behavior in any stretch of the imagination. But his point was so valid, right? I mean, it it, because it's true. Um, The idea, um, the the notion that we're post-racial the notion that this is just all gone away when slavery stopped or when Jim Crow was eaved I don't know that Jim Crow is totally gone um but uh is is just intellectually dishonest um right I I mean we have to face this reality and we have to face it head on and look uh it's it's a comfortable spot to sit back and be like, yeah, there's no racism. What are you talking about? Um, that that that's a very comfortable place to lay back in because you are able to close your eyes to to, to the reality of what's happening. When we look at the criminal justice system, right? Um uh, you know, th- there's always, you know, these arguments about, well, yes, you know, more black folks are disproportionately uh, killed by the police because there's more interactions and because there's more crime in that area, right? So I try to set that argument aside. There's a whole lot of reasons why that's, uh, that's not an accurate argument. But I, I kind of set it aside because I think that there's some other metrics that demonstrate it perfectly, right? right. Black folks uh, and white folks use drugs at the exact same rate, right? They use drugs and deal drugs exactly the same. Uh, but a black person is far more likely, uh, like three times more likely, to be arrested um, for drug possession or drug dealing than a white person. Um, uh this is data. It's it's science, It's math, right? I mean, we just know that this is true. Um, when they arrive in court, um, a black person facing the exact same charges as their white counterpart is far likely to get a much heavier sentence um, uh, than than their white uh, counterparts. Once again, this is data. We we can't. We just simply cannot deny this away anymore. Right. Um so um you know and, and those are just Two tiny, tiny examples, right? I mean, when we look at, um, you know, uh, the the rate for which uh, you know black folks or you know any person of color is killed by the police, it's overwhelmingly more uh, than. And 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 we see like these anecdotes day in and day out that have to add that you know these ad- anecdotes can't just always be anecdotes. They mm-hmm. they have to add up. They have to mean something, right? I mean, we saw this with CNN right. uh, over the weekend, right? You have two. Reporters from the exact same (laughs) organization, feet apart from one another. Mm -hmm. One's black, one's white, one gets arrested, one walks away. Right, right. It happened firsthand. Yeah. First, yeah, yeah. And and we saw, you know, we saw the video. So it wasn't like, you know, one was, uh, you know, uh, 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 being, uh, you know, outrageous or, you know, being instigating or not following the orders, uh, you know, of the cops. And one was, I mean, these were literally two people doing the exact same thing. One gets arrested and one does uh, uh, it. I don't think it's a hard question, uh, or it's a hard answer, right? I mean, it, it might be hard to really depress ourselves to ask, you know, wow! Is this still going on in 2020? And the answer is yes. And and we keep seeing these incidents over and over and over and over. Uh, that 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 uh, that prove exactly um, what so many have known for so long. Right. Right.
0: So and uh, and then see that there, it, it makes it, it raises a whole bunch of other questions. and, and it's just like, okay, with the cops. In, inside of the police department, now we've got this. This silence. We we know that. All right, I'm going to take this this minority here away. I'm going to let him go, whether it's on camera or not. We're going to all get together. We're going to watch my cop colleague keep his knee on that guy's neck. We're not going to say anything. Why is that? Why is silence such an integral part of of, of police culture? Like, why is that okay? When realistically. <laughs> police should be held to the same regard as lawyers teachers and so on and so forth
1: well um th- that's a really really tough question to answer and so i'm gonna I'm give my best from what my experience is right mm-hmm. um I, w- what i would say is is that this boils very much back to this culture of the thin blue line right mm-hmm. so any of you guys who have seen uh you know um uh, Or heard the expression the thin blue line. You see now American flags that are black and white uh, with a a blue line, which is a a little ironic because there's always been so much hubbub about Kaepernick disrespecting the flag, which he didn't. But um, (laughs) right. But either way, this blue line, um, uh, the meaning behind it is is that. Um, that is the line between chaos and order, Um, right? And the police stand on this blue line that maintains this. And it's such a thin line that at any moment without the police, uh, you know, we would disrupt into chaos. Mm -hmm. So, um, when when we start um, in training, right, or even in recruitment, right, and we are are pushing this idea of us against them, um, if we push um, uh, the idea that one set of folks are just um, heroes where the others are not, um, uh, where we have this idea. That there are vast amounts of population, the media, politicians, uh, the crazy activists—they're all out to um, to disrupt uh, what what our goal. You know, which which I think again, I think most police officers, in their heart, um, really believe that you know this is. Um, uh, th- th- this is all for the greater good, right yeah. uh, which you know in some regards it is you know some of the methods are not um, right. so so you start with this kind of culture of um of different right and then you you that there's a war that's going on um a, a, a good versus evil right so it's very very easy to stand on the on you know i'm on the good side right so I can ignore even the bad things, um, that, um, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, me as an officer or other officers are doing, here's a really good example. I I, I'm sorry. I I don't remember his name. There's so many, but there was a man killed in Las Vegas a few years ago and the officer was carrying an AK 47 that wasn't, um, uh, that wasn't issued by the department. He wasn't allowed to have it. And, um, uh, that he killed a man who was unarmed. He was on his hands and knees, in fact, begging. Uh, it's it awful. Um, and the officer was later deposed and said, "You know, why? Why were you still carrying the gun when you knew that you weren't supposed to?" And he, you know, said something to the effect of, "Like, look, uh, if this means, if this is, if my breaking this rule is what means to." promote safety or to make sure that, you know, um, that the community is safe, that my brothers and sisters in law enforcement are safe, then I'm going to do it. So there's this kind of, you know, uh, the end justifies the means, um, uh, in those circumstances, there, there's another part of it too, of where, um, uh, uh, there's a lot of pressure, um, where, you know, um, that you handle things internally. Right. Um, and some of that is about liability, right. Right. Some of that is if we admit it, we're going to be breaking the perception. We're going to be breaking trust even more. And then there's the, another element of, of like, if I snitch on him, right. Or her, um, and then a little bit later, you know, in the month or a couple of months from now, uh, and I'm getting, you know, my ass whipped, and I'm calling for help, the guy that I just snitched on, right, I I I don't. I want to make sure he's coming fast. Wow. I, I want to make sure, you know. Um, now, in, in reality, I, you know, I, I've never saw like an officer be like, well, you know, let me take the long way of getting there when things, you know, when, when the rubber hits the road. But there is this kind of concern always in the back of your head. You know, it's kind of one of the reasons I've heard, you know, why cops never give cops tickets, right? Because yeah. you don't want to be like, oh, I remember you. Uh, you're the one who, you know, wrote me a ticket. Um, so I'm just not in a big enough hurry uh, to come. Wow. The other thing is, and I want to back up to my last point that I, I want to clarify a little bit, is when we talk about liability. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, like, I would assume that Minneapolis is kind of facing is, is like, you know, they're going uh, they're going to get sued horrendously. Um, and that money from the lawsuit then pulls uh, very often from the department. And then that means less employees, less equipment. I, I don't get the car, you know, I'm driving an old rattling car around. Um, I, I may not get the additional training because the budget, um, uh, the, the budget doesn't allow for it anymore. So, then it kind of becomes this battle of uh, who um, are we you know, pulling the spoon away from from our own mouths um, by, by stepping up and being honest. And then the very final point I want to make is um, human behavior, right, um, that I think is just deep into our conscious that we had this tendency to protect ourselves and protect our tribe. And, you know, law enforcement... Uh, is a very very tight knit community. Um, you, you know, uh, I, I've always heard like doctors hang out with doctors, truckers hang out with truckers. Mm-hmm. There's some truth to that, but there's nothing, nothing at all um, like the camaraderie that's built into policing. Um, uh, so you know, th- there is this you know just natural inclination of of um, of, of being protective. Uh, Jefferson said, uh, Thomas Jefferson said when talking about slavery, um, there's a great speech that he talked about. It was called having the tiger by the ear. And he said, uh, self-preservation, uh, justice is in one hand, and self preservation is in the other and that 's very true as a human behavior but what I think that the solution is 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 that um, is the the only way to break out of this cycle, are for more officers to speak up for more officers um, if if anything uh, you know i 've seen lots of bad footage over the last week. There's been more violence, you know, against people who are protesting violence, but I have seen more than not, uh, or I'm mean, not more than not, more than ever before. So many police officers, police chiefs, uh, sheriffs who are speaking out um, uh, about like, we hear you. We, we feel the pain. It was wrong. Uh, it shouldn't have ever happened where uh, in the past, that hasn't been as prevalent. Uh, Michael Moore, who is the police chief here in L.A., you know, in L.A. certainly has its, oh, uh, going through its it. long, long history yeah. uh, and, and continued problems today. You know, he was out at a protest and, you know, um, he was discouraging about uh, or, you know, trying to discourage folks about uh, letting the protests get out of hand. But the one thing that he said is I acknowledge our historical um, contribution to this, and I acknowledge that some of that is still going on today. And I was like, wow, um, you know, th- th- that goes so far, and not only does it go far with the community, I mean, that it has to be backed up by actions, but it also ripples down um, a- 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 across the road. right.
0: Right, I agree with that. Um, and-, and what that is is, is transformation. That is. Transformation on so many levels, you know, um, you know, micro and, and and macro. I mean, it's the police chief even um, uh, condemning, you know, what happened in, in Minneapolis, like <laughs> that. There saying that on the record. Yeah is 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 transformative you know we all heard it so what that also you know kind of brings me to is the idea and you said it earlier the idea of this good guy and the bad guy like the the, the and you yeah. mentioned this yesterday the childlike fetish fetishism to the police so yeah. as kids we we all play cops and robbers right we've got this like oh and and <laughs> i remember as a kid you know i in, in a weird kind of subconscious way, I always wanted to be the cop and never the robber because I never wanted to get chased. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so there was there's this this idea of being the bad guy, right? And, yeah. and and it was what it was so many years ago, but that image has had to have changed. So talk about how the image of the bad guy is changing in the police force and, and what does that mean for you know, criminal justice training reform, like how have your programs influenced the image of the bad guy?
1: Well, I I, I think it's, uh, let let me start with, um, uh, i just laying kind of some perspective for those who haven't been to our website, trainingreform.org that has a whole bunch of data um, that talks about what uh, policing is in America. And it's very, very unique um, in comparison to um, most police training across the globe. So in the United States, uh, the average uh, mandated amount of of training that a police officer must go to um, is uh, just a little bit over 650 hours. Uh, (laughs) And that was less uh, than a a (laughs) cosmetologist. It is. So in every state in the United States, cosmetologists, uh, plumbers, electricians, um, of course, like attorneys, are far more... um, Uh, are are given far more uh, strict requirements uh, for certification uh, than what a police officer is. Then we add on uh, that there's 37 states in the United States that allow cops to work uh, before they're even trained. Um, Mississippi, ironically, is one of the few states that uh, they have like the longest period. Well, aside from Hawaii, who has no state mandated training requirement at all, but uh, Mississippi, none none um, now like Honolulu PD they require people to go to their Academy but you know if you're in one of these rural departments there, there's no training requirement whatsoever wow. um, and uh, and it's just been really recent in the last you know decade where this you know they've been left alone to be alone in that they're, they're, this was going on for a while um, but um, but when, when, when we compare um, uh, our training with other countries even, right? Um, uh, we're, we're, at the bottom. Um, uh, the, uh, the Bahamas, Iraq and Afghanistan, um, are the three notable other countries that are below the United States or are on par with the United States. Most other countries, it's a bachelor's degree program. Um, some countries like, uh, Um, uh, Some in the Middle East and in the Nordic countries, it's a master's degree. You can get hired at your bachelor's degree level, but you're required to keep on going to school. So when we look at what's happening in in policing uh, and police training is that we have to first understand what is it that we're training them for. What what does this six hundred and fifty some hours, or even a thousand hours in, uh, um, in Minnesota, has? Uh, I think the second highest requirements in the United States at a thousand fifty, and requires a college degree, not a college degree in criminal justice necessarily, but um, um, but that's still just abysmal. It's just still horribly, horribly low. It's still less than cosmetology, right? Um, but what we see is um, is that the training. Um, when we look at, here's a good example. When we look at uh, police action killings, right? Uh, uh, police officers who kill individuals versus police officers who are killed. What we see is is that police killings tend to happen with very inexperienced officers who are pretty close to their academy right? In the first couple of years, BuzzFeed did a really good article a couple of years ago about the preponderance of young officers who just not been out of the academy too long, who have a tendency to have higher rates of, of deadly use of force. But an officer being killed is tends to be about 13, 14 years in, into um, their career. Um, so what's happening is, is that Officers are leaving on guard, right? Um, They're leaving the academy, you know, uh, like I I tell this story all the time. When I I left the academy, I I would drive home in different directions um, with this belief, like, people are going to be following me home. And then I later learned, like, that's never happened, Uh, or if it has, it's just been so uh, anecdotal and um so officers are coming out, especially those who attend what are called warrior um style training right which is basically a militarized or paramilitary uh, <laughs> type of training which by the way, in minneapolis's credit just uh, a few weeks back uh uh ended uh uh banned any type of uh, of warrior uh, style training um so um So, but what the emphasis is in policing uh, and police training is overwhelmingly about defense, right? Mm -hmm. Which then promotes this idea that you're always under attack. And the reality, that's just not the reality. When we look at how police officers die, a police officer is overwhelmingly uh, more likely to kill themselves than to ever be killed by someone else. But when we look at Uh, Yeah, it's uh, nearly three times the amount Um, so when we look at um, uh, The amount of training that goes um, on for self-defense, right? It's about a third of their of their academy training is in self-defense but less than one day on average for self-care, about recognizing the signs of depression or PTSD or dealing with alcoholism or domestic uh, violence, which are all huge problems in law enforcement. Police officers are more likely to be killed in a car wreck than they are um, to be killed by homicide. Wow. so uh so th- th- there's those issues then this se- um the second issue that that we see is kind of a big problem is there's so little emphasis about human behavior right um i when i teach um uh uh or i, I you know uh g- give speeches i always say the most powerful question in the world to ask is why you know mm-hmm. what why is this happening and if, if we aren't asking why and then been supplied an answer that talks about, you know, the plight of uh, of minorities in this country, then we're not really having a true context as to what the, you know, what the real problems are and why there is that animosity um, between the two communities, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because it didn't just happen, right? This didn't, what well, we started this conversation didn't start yesterday. right? Um, and then um, uh, and then, finally is just uh, not given enough time, uh, just a raw number of hours to have a good understanding of, you know, uh, of basics like the law, right? A police officer gets less than two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks total to cover constitutional law, state law, uh, uh, kitty law, um, wow. uh, traffic law, uh, federal motor carrier law. Um, that's just simply not enough time. Um, I, and then I hear you that firsthand, my wife took the bar, and yeah. that took, shoot,
0: man, it from the time we started dating to right before we got married was over a year. Sure, <laughs> that's and that was that's that's just a certain sector
1: of the law, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> They're to get that much info. Man, please. They are. So um, so one of the solutions that we kind of feel like is important is, number one, from the legislative level to start increasing um, and mandating increased hours, uh, just the, the raw number of hours. Now, we don't want to just replace that with with bad training. So while we kind of feel like at the current moment, like bias training, as an example, is important. We really don't know if it works. right? We just don't know yet. The data is not there. It's one of the uh, programs that the institute has been uh, uh, been working on. Um, so we don't want to just throw things out and be like, well, we'll give them bias training and then not have any idea of, of, of it being effective. Um, uh, same thing with like mental health crisis. We know that some training for like crisis intervention teams um, is important uh, and, and, and tends to have a net positive. Um, but it um is it enough still i mean you, you know some it's like 8 hours uh maybe 16 hours 40 hours for instructors clearly that's not enough time um, to understand the complexities of mental health and then we as a society simultaneously have to reevaluate like is this the police's role in the first place right um you know which which thing kind of goes back right does that
0: kind of touch on oh my god yes what um, what
1: you asked and more
0: (laughs) you've covered literally a gamut of my own questions that i had listed um real quick um i is the timer is on this thing it's gonna log us out in 40 seconds if we could it's gonna log us out i'm gonna open up another live stream and we'll just get back on because i want to wrap up the last of the the questions that we had um because man this is this is pertinent information So, um, I I, I want to when we when it logs us off, I want to talk about um, just the the six specific campaigns that you offer um, and and break that down, and then we'll we'll talk about some forward movement from there. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, it'll log us off. All right, guys. I just want to kind of give y'all a little bit of a breather. um, Short little commercial. Something. Or whatever the case may be. Um just take a second to think for a second. All right. We'll get back to the episode. All right, man, this is wild. Um Jesus, this is this is Excellent information. Um waiting on Randy to sign back in. Um and, and we're gonna wrap this this whole thing back up, guys. Thank y'all for for being on here and rocking out with us and we got Randy coming on just now. Okay, we back. <laughs>
1: Grab some water real quick. Uh, <laughs> so I, like, I was like, I've got six
0: seconds to grab uh, grab some water. I, I uh, did the same thing. I got mine right here. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Randy, I, I I'm encouraging all of the Project Upland listeners, listeners to my podcast, the Gundog Notebook. Um. You know, now um, a buddy of mine, uh, Charlie Jordan, um, he's got a business called Missing Sucks. Um, he actually wants to, um, contribute his proceeds to, um, the um, Institute of criminal justice training reform.
1: Um, very
0: humbling. well, I mean, we're all coming together collectively to put our hand on a much broader issue. Yeah. You know, we, we and so in that I want to. Kind of talk about the, like I said, the six specific campaigns um, that your organization offers of or sponsorship and things like that, because I thought they were all very unique in their own regard.
1: Sure. So, um, so I'll start with, you know, uh, one of the campaigns obviously is just operation, like just to keep the lights on. Um, you know pay for website, pay for consultation fees that we pay for, for like funding and um, that sort of stuff. Uh, Our organization is um, driven by volunteerism, uh, uh, which, uh, speaking uh, about humbleness, uh, is is that when, when the Institute started, you know, we didn't know um, what, uh, what, what feedback, you know, what we would be getting, uh, from as far as a response. But what we knew is that we were the only advocacy organization in the U S as well as really in the world that approaches reform through how are we training the officers? How are we training people who have the power of arrest? So, uh, so one of the programs is, uh, you know, kindly saying we like we need to keep the lights on. Right. Um, so our kind of our flagship um, program is what's called star state training analysis and research. And um, if you go to our website and you look, um, there's uh, a, there's a page that shows like, what are the training minimum training requirements for each state uh, in the United States? Um, how much, uh, and this is mandated right by law. This is what the legislators are saying in order for a police officer to get a certification. Um, and so, uh, each year that changes a little bit. So we have to continuously work um, to uh, to investigate what changes, you know what regulations have been increased or decreased. There's some states that have decreased over time. Um, and this gives us the footing of understanding, what exactly um, uh, is kind of the training's uh, state of play, right? So, um, and and we look at it from a legislative model, though we understand that, like, um, like in, in California, as an example, the minimum requirement um, uh, of what is legislated and what police officers are actually receiving um, is different. So police officers are getting a little bit more training, but just like... You know just like anything, um, if we raise the minimum, then we raise the average as well so the star program um, looks at that we also dive into um, evaluating like how much uh, you know breaking down the curriculum, how much of their time is spent you know in self defense or um, uh, or you know self care those kinds of things right um we have uh, the untrained program um and this is uh for us uh, to push awareness and uh hopefully some legislative change of uh, untrained police officers in the united states wow. uh, it you know there's uh, like if if you went to your doctor and your doctor was like hey uh uh, I go to med school, in a year from now, um, you're going to get up and walk away, right? Um, but if you are pulled over by a police officer who has not received any training, and when I say no training, they usually get like a, uh, a, a maybe a week's worth of training on how to use their firearm. Um, wow. You can't just be like, nope, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not working with this officer. We have right. no choice in no the matter. So um, thankfully, knock on wood, there hasn't been, you know – Big issues with um, uh, untrained officers um, exhibiting, you know, like higher use of deadly force than others. But just logically speaking, they need to be trained, right? Yeah. Uh, and there was, in South Carolina is reevaluating their untrained policies right now because there was a, uh, a police um, uh, use of deadly force. Right. <laughs> Uh, so, um, so that's our untrained program, the, uh, bias and bias program. Um, this is what, um, what I mentioned earlier is, is that we have to evaluate what does implicit bias training work, right? If we walk in with the understanding that us as humans is designed to build patterns in our mind. And with that comes with this cultural influence that some people are more inherently bad than others. Um, does that really help um, reduce the number of uh, bias-related incidents? And the answer is we just don't know. And um, so our bias and bias program, um, we're right now still like in the data collection period uh, because there's a a lot to gather, a lot to sort through, a lot to figure out who's done it, who's not done it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a major program that we hope that... you know, when we talk about curriculum, what needs to be added, when the politicians or the BA gets up and says, hey, they need this program, uh, that's fine. But we want to make sure that scientifically that that is supported, that it, it's something that could be helpful. I mean, we know that there's other things like, you know, the war on drugs and, you know, targeted, st- you know, stop and press those things. Doesn't matter if you have bias training or not, it, it, it exacerbates it. But we want to know specifically about that program. Right. We have another program that's called The Greater Danger, which is about uh, making sure that police officers themselves, their mental health um, is um, uh, is, be, you know, is being dealt with, right? Um, so police officers, generally speaking, this is one of the questions I know you had asked. Uh, police officers, generally speaking, have a um, psychological evaluation as they uh, join a department. Um, Most of the time they never have another one uh, after a shooting or something like that. Um, But we have to look and see like, uh, you know, first off the officers need to understand that, you know, you're far, far more likely to turn the weapon on yourself than someone to steal your weapon and shoot you. And you need to know what those, uh, what those signs are, how to deal with PTSD, making it okay to go get uh, mental health treatment if, if they feel the need. Right. Um, and then th- the final program is what we call train scared, or this is kind of the warrior cuff. Um One of the things that we've been doing um, uh, is uh, we've uh, been doing the first of its kind study on um, what are the perceptions of danger that police officers have. And our early data, and again, it's early, we haven't completed the program, but what we've been doing is measuring when when a police officers enter the police academy, we ask them things like, how likely do you think it is that you'll die, you know, um, by gunfire, mm-hmm. as an example, or- how many officers do you think are killed a year? And then we do that same measurement after they graduate the academy. And then you know we have plans to, you know, even follow these folks further down their career. Right. What we're seeing early on is that there is this elevated belief that their job is even more dangerous than what it actually is. Again, I cannot stress there is an inherent danger to law enforcement or public safety that, you know, most of us don't deal with in our day-to-day jobs, right? right. But it's important for us not to overstate it, because if we're telling folks, like, there's a war uh, and, and you are the target of that war as a soldier, so to speak, right. um, then, of course, they're going to be more on edge. Of course, they're going to be more likely to use force. Of course, they're going to view someone as an other, or, you know, as an enemy. Um, so um, we think, um, you know, our program is continue. This program is continue evaluating how much of influence does uh, training have on their perceptions, and then how do we counter it? Right? right, just knowing that it's bad isn't enough. We need to know how to counter it. Um, uh, one of the things that, if I may, just share very briefly, yeah, no, I know we're. But I, I think is important is th- there is a uh, and I'm gonna single this one guy out, but he's not the only one. But there is a, um, a a group called the Killology Group, um, Killology, and there's a man who calls himself the killologist. Uh, his name is Dave Grossman. He's a former military guy. He individually had trained more police officers than anyone in the United States. Uh, a, a remarkable amount. Okay. He has a, he he's a, has a for-profit company, this killology group that goes around and trains departments, trains police officers all the time about this mindset of, you know, always make sure it's, you know, um, uh, you know, that you act faster, um, you know, and then ask questions later. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, there was um, uh, th- a documentary about, um, uh, about um, Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Uh, hands up, don't shoot, I think uh, it was called. That um, that had a segment of him speaking. They filmed him, where he was telling officers that after a fatal shooting, to go home and have sex because it would be the best sex that uh, um, that, that you, you, you could have. Are you um, serious? Yeah, yeah. So we as a community, we've got to stand up and make sure, you know, we've got to attend town halls. We've got to attend the commissioner meetings. We have to uh, uh, call out and uh, make sure that, you know, that we no longer give a platform for that type of, uh, you know, that that type of training. And unfortunately, there's just been so many that's already received it. It's going to take some time to cycle it out. But this is what the – the uh, uh, train scared program uh, uh, promotes to make sure that we end that t- that style of uh, of police training.
0: Wow. Well, and you know, you you really brought it home right there. That's why we're here. You know, yeah. that is why I wanted to support you. You know, and, and and chose your because you know, quite frankly, you know, I don't day to day. I got I got a, a wife, a kid one on the way so on and so forth and congratulations thank you um thank you thank you but when i go out you know go out hunting as a black man (laughs) before any it, it, it would not be out of the norm for a cop to before he asked me hey where are you going to hunt i see you got two dogs in the back of the truck oh that's cool i see you got stickers all over your truck what's gonna happen is it's very possible for me to get pulled over. I've got a a very nice Beretta in the back seat, you know, and I don't have my pistol just out laying out, especially when cops are there because that's just not smart, but it's very likely that there can be something that could trigger some kind of immediate reaction, some kind of fear. Sure. And next thing you know, I'm dead for the sake of fear of, of, of blackness. That's right. Per- perceived perception. I, I, I'm i going out to do something 100% legal. Yeah. And just because there's a firearm in there, the next thing you know, oh, man, I just killed this dude. Um. You know, I, I, I just killed this dude and let me rummage through his car. Oh, there's his pistol. Now I can say, all right, let me fire it and, and make it seem like he fired him. You know, there's just so many different ways that, a situation like that can go. So I'm just really impressed with your programs and and, and what they are targeting because those are things that need to be targeted. And like you said, this is not going to be a a one-day thing. No. I just hope that after after this situation with George Floyd, um, after this situation with George Floyd, Goes to trial and so on and so forth. I hope that we don't forget it for the simple fact that we do need to weed out those bad actors. Yeah, and and we do need to even if we don't weed them out, there needs to be a, a counseling. There needs to be training. There need everything is a development. Yes, it has. And and I and I keep saying in this, and I want to end on this this is bigger than just a black versus white thing. Absolutely. It is 100%. It's not a black-on-black crime thing. It's not a white-on-white crime. It's not a black-on-white crime. It has nothing to do. It is the simple fact that at the the core of George Floyd and so many other African-American men, it is bad policing. It is. No different than the policing that we have in the bird dog community, where it, it, it might not be physically violent but there there are there are perceptions there are things that lead you know the majority population to believe well again why are you here what are you doing yeah then that leads to okay why is he still here you know right I, i just i go ahead go ahead
1: yeah, well, I just want to say because, you know, the root of this um, spills into other aspects of our lives. The root of this is is that, you know, we have a systemic problem in our culture that has been going since the founding of, of our country, quote unquote, mm-hmm. founding, um, uh, that has now just poured into other aspects. You know, it's not just policing, it's it's in medicine, right? Uh, you know, we see it's in jobs, it's in housing. Yeah. Um, it isn't solely that. The only other thing that, if, if I may, that I think is important that, that to be said is is that, and we touched on this, but I want to stress again. Many of us know police officers. There might be some police officers that are listening. Uh, it is imperative, absolutely imperative, that that the that the change. Occurs simultaneously from the inside. Yeah, police officers have to stand up and say this is wrong. They have to stand up, and when they see an officer doing something to take to be brave enough, uh, where I wasn't, uh, you know, very honestly, I, I wasn't. Um, uh, uh, but we have to speak in this way. Um, if not, um, you know, the, these problems are never going to go.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and and that that there is across the board yeah fundamental yeah. at the end of the day I would like to end this interview by saying exactly what you're saying I want to end with your we all need to keep everybody accountable for their actions that's right and hold everybody to a high regard um, so with that being said um, I would like um, to direct everyone to your website um, and so can you give us that information and and if
1: anybody doesn't want to you know, listen to all it is and go straight to you. Sure. Uh so uh trainingreform.org. Uh trainingreform.org is our website. Um uh 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 there's a whole plethora of information uh there. Um Not only um, uh, about our work, but just about overall data for them to have an understanding of what the state state of training is. Um, And if anyone who wants um, uh, to read my op-ed, if you Google uh, I Was a Racist Cop, I think it's the second or third one down. um, uh, uh, That's on Huffington Post. And you can understand uh, uh, what my viewpoint or what my personal experiences were. And we want I, first. I, I want to uh, end by thanking you very much, and for the folks you know uh, that joined us, because I know this has what seems to be nothing to do uh, with bird dog hunting, but it, it does have everything to do with it because of, we're all human. Uh, we're all living in this culture, and we can always do better. So thank you, uh, uh, you know, for your voice. Uh, Uh, and speaking out about this and allowing this discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I I know, like I said, I know it was short notice, but um,
0: I want to take action. So, Randy, um, we will follow up. I'm going to get this stuff uploaded and do all the computer stuff, and I'm going to follow up with you shortly, sir. I mean, this this is great here. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And thanks for everybody for listening in today.
0: Thank y'all. Thank y'all. All
1: All right, Randy, talk to you
0: soon. And I'll keep you on the proceeds and so on and so forth. Sounds great. Well, look forward to talking to you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Take care. All right. Well, that is the end of the episode with Randy Shrewsbury of the Institute for criminal justice training reform. like I say, man, I am proud to be, or or to have the responsibility um, as an African American man in the, um, in, in in this atmosphere and in this this community, and you know, I I I saw that cover that that was not saw. I mean, I, I've known it was out there, but the cover for. Um, volume two, issue two of the Project Upland magazine really resonated with me. Many of you guys saw the post that I made on that. And so it's just time, you know, what that means is it's just time for me to speak up and and use my platform for good. Um, In the next coming days and and, and weeks, you guys will um, get some more notification of a Nonprofit organization that I am working on. Um, I'm, I'm I'm building it and and putting it all together, getting the finer details. But I am putting together a nonprofit organization um, catered towards minorities and, and and involvement in the um in the the hunting and outdoor um, atmosphere. You know the details. I I will get more specific as further episodes come, but I have just been more or less mobilized and called to action. Um, But more importantly, guys, I hope you all learned um, something that I felt was information that should be out there. Okay. I I, I hope you guys got why I, I I found a correlation to um, hunting and, and, and how it all works together. Again, guys, this is not political. <laughs> this is not political. This is a human rights issue. The right to life is a human rights issue. Racism is a human rights issue. Okay. Um, so with that being said, um, I just want to over the last few days, I've, I've seen an outpouring of support. From, from so many listeners and supporters of, of the Gun Dog Notebook um, Project Upland. And I want to personally thank every last one of you guys. If I did not get a chance to personally thank every last one of you guys in um, DMs and inboxes and comments and things like that, I want to give you a personal thank you right now um, for supporting, for standing up for what's right. Um, and in doing what's right, I want to thank the the businesses and organizations that have reached out to me and, and chose to stand up for what's right and and humbled themselves to say, hey, what can we do? Give me a solution. That there speaks volumes. And I hope that we all learn a lesson from this. I hope that we all understand that the rioting and the looting is not something that is conducive or constructive to building anything. It is designed to tear down in every sense of, of the word, to destroy and to tear down. But I do want to applaud the peaceful protesters that stood up and 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 stood, you know, stood out, they shine, they resonated for what is right. And, guys, every last one of you all that supports this podcast and supports my work, um, supports Project Upland, supports all of these other businesses that chose to stand out and step up. Guys, that there is just as critical as a peaceful protest. We need changes in, 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 in so many different areas, guys, but we cannot do that without a conversation. Everybody has to listen to everybody. You got two ears and one mouth for a reason. Let's listen, let's collaborate, and let's be better, and and let's condemn the things that we do know are human rights violations. And let's fix the systems in place that perpetuate systemic racism. All right, guys, with that being said, um, that's another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook. I will be praying for this country. I am praying for every last one of you individually. I hope you're praying for me and my family. And and, and again, let's continue to make the world a better place and leave the uplands better than when we found them. That work starts here. It starts with these conversations, guys. All right. Till next time, I'll see y'all next week.